I would invite you to be finding now the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. And in just a few moments, we're going to begin our reading at verse number 16. And I want us to dial up Luke chapter 14. And uh, we'll notice together verses 16 through 24. Jesus has many different titles. We call him Savior. We call him Lord. He is known as Master, Messiah, Redeemer, our soon coming King. But we must remember that when Jesus was on this earth, He was a preacher. Jesus preached the word of God. In fact, he was the word of God. He is the word of God. The word of God manifested in a body is a little baby, the Christ child. The word of God manifested in a book is the Bible. So that's why we preach the Bible about Jesus. We proclaim the written word which teaches us about the living word. So Jesus was a preacher. He preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. Someone asked me the other day, what is the greatest sermon you've ever heard preached? I got the answer. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. So Jesus was a preacher. And then Jesus preached an end time prophetic message called the Olivet Discourse that's in Matthew 24 and 25. And Jesus reminds us that he is soon coming. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 32, He says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Now you Bible students know that in scripture, the fig tree is a symbol of the nation of Israel. One day, Jesus cursed the fig tree. But he says that the fig tree will once again blossom and bloom. That has already happened in world history. On May 14, 1948, Israel, the fig tree, began to bud again. And that nation was reestablished in the Middle East. And Israel was reborn. There is a land, there is a nation called Israel. Israel. I know they want to attack it and bomb it and bully those people. They want to fight against them and war against them. But aren't you glad God has promised to preserve Israel? In Matthew chapter 24, verse number six, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. So Jesus says that's not the end, but maybe it's the beginning of the end. I think we're that close. We are that near. In Matthew 24, verse seven, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Again, I believe Jesus is soon coming. So Jesus was a preacher, but then Jesus was also a teacher. They called him rabbi, that means teacher. And he was a communicator. Jesus would tell stories that the people could understand and relate to. I love a good story. And Jesus was a storyteller. Some of the best preachers I know are storytellers. I've been told, I can't remember your sermon outline. I can't even remember your sermon title, but I can remember the story that you told. I can remember the illustration that you told. So Jesus did that. He taught in parable form. Now, what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That word parable means a comparison. And Jesus would draw analogies to spiritual things. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like this and give a comparison. The kingdom of heaven is like that and give a comparison. Jesus speaks at least 38 parables in the gospels. And when we come to Luke chapter 14, he gives us five parables. And one of my favorite parables is found in this chapter. I don't hear a lot of sermons about it. I don't hear a lot of messages about it. I don't hear a lot of teaching about it or a lot of commentary about it. But Brother Kenny, I believe it's one of the best parables I believe it's one of the greatest stories that Jesus ever told. In my Bible, it's called the parable of the great supper. Now, sometimes it's called the parable of the banquet or the parable of the wedding feast, but I don't know, Brother Jeff, I, I just tend to like that word supper. You know why? Because I'm from the south. I'm on this side of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm from the country. Now, when I was growing up, we had three meals a day at my house. In the morning, we had breakfast. Around noon, we had lunch, or sometimes we called it dinner. And then in the evening, we had a meal that was known as supper. How many of you still have supper? I like to, to sit down at the supper table. What, what's for supper? What are we gonna eat for, for supper? So with that thought in mind, I want to preach for just a little while, if God would help me on this subject, don't miss the supper. Don't miss the supper. There is a man in Luke chapter 14 that has prepared a grand feast, but not everyone attends this supper. Some are missing, some are absentee. So I will talk today and warn you, don't miss the supper. Notice with me, Luke chapter 14 and verse 16, our Lord Jesus is at the house of one of the Pharisees and he's going to answer a question by telling a story. He gives this parable, look at it. Then said Jesus unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. He bidded many to come. He invited many to come. 
and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Welcome to my world. That sounds familiar. This must have been a Baptist crowd. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. He's asking for an excused absence, verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. He's asking for an excused absence, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He's asking for an excused absence. But Brother Brad, there's no excuses. It's all unexcused. Look at verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. This is what he said. Go after those that don't have any money. Go after the crippled. Go after those who can't see. Go after those who have defects and challenges and handicaps and disabilities. They're welcome at my house. Verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded and yet there is room. There's room at the supper table. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. David, I looked up that word compel and it's a strong, forceful word. It literally means to hogtie somebody and drag them. Compel them to come. He says to go out into the highways and hedges. I have always wondered what highways and hedges really means. So I looked it up yesterday. And this is what the lexicon said. Highways and hedges, that means the countryside. I have found out that country people make good church members. Give me somebody from the country over a city slicker any day. Rednecks make good church members. So you're in good company today. Verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Three times in the verses that we have just read, we find that word supper. Now there are those who would say that we need to get rid of that word supper because supper is just kind of an old-fashioned word. Maybe it's not a dignified word, but it's interesting Jesus uses that word supper. Supper is a Bible word. Look at verse 16 again. A certain man made a great supper, not just a supper, but a great supper. Verse 17, and sent his servant at supper time. I remember when I was just a boy growing up, we would go outside and play. I don't know if kids still go outside and play, but we did. We would go into the backyard and play football or kickball or baseball. And then they would holler and yell from the house, Barry, come home, it's supper time. 
That's a song, in fact. Come home, come home. It's supper time. That's what Jesus says. And then verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. I'm speaking today on that thought, don't miss the supper. About two and a half years ago, I got serious about weight loss because I was almost 300 pounds. How much do you weigh today, preacher? None of your business. But I tried my best to, uh, to lose some weight, and I did. I lost a lot of weight, and I lost it very quickly. I did something called intermittent fasting. But when I really wanted to lose the most weight, I would skip out on supper. I would eat a good breakfast. I would eat a, a good lunch, healthy and nutritious. And then I would just kind of leave off supper. I would just skip out on supper. And then you go a long time without eating and supposedly it makes your metabolism rev up. And I try to do that sometimes even still. This past week, I've been in revival down in Marietta and we got out late every night and they gave us a big meal. They prepared the food at the church and I'm talking about good food. And I was eating supper every night about nine o'clock. And if I did that every day, I'd probably weigh 500 pounds. So I gotta get back on my, on my uh, discipline and my diet and, and maybe I need to, to miss out on the supper, skip out on supper. But in, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, don't do it. Don't miss the supper. There is a great supper that has been prepared and you are invited. You need to make sure that you're there. Don't miss the supper. I looked up that word supper and this is what it said. The chief meal of the day, a feast. It is a great supper. In Luke chapter 14, this great supper is the social event of the year. It is a big deal. It is a banquet. It is a celebration. It is a fancy, formal get-together. It's a big shindig. It is a big party. The Lord and master of the house has prepared a great supper. I was reading after one Bible scholar, and he said maybe this is a father that is giving a grand wedding reception for his son, or maybe it's his daughter. I don't know, but I know this. There is a supper, and it is prepared and it is ready, and it is now, and you are invited. Don't miss the supper. So I just want to share three thoughts from this passage about this supper. Number one, I want us to think about an invitation extended. An invitation extended. If you want to go to this supper, you have to be invited. If you want to go to this banquet and this feast and this celebration and this party, you have to be invited. You have to have an invitation. Now, what is the context of this text? What's happening in Luke chapter 14? Well, we kind of know that because of the very first verse, Luke 14, verse one. And it came to pass as Jesus went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. So here's Jesus at the house of one of the Pharisees. 
Now, the Pharisees were the religious people of the day. They were the church people of the day. And they looked good on the outside, but they were wicked and mean and ugly on the inside. And they were critical, and they were judgmental, and they were holier than thou. And they liked to point fingers at everyone else. And they kind of snubbed their noses and looked down on everyone else. And the Bible says that Jesus is around this religious crowd and they watched him. We're watching you, Jesus. Have you ever been around a religious person that looks you up one side and down the other? They examine you and they scrutinize you just waiting for you to mess up so they can tell you about it. Just waiting for you to make a mistake so they can rub your nose in it. And they're watching Jesus. Everybody's got their eye on Jesus. And the Bible says there was a man there that day who had the dropsy. Now what in the world is dropsy? Well, Jonathan, you're in the medical field. Dropsy is what we would call today edema. It's when the body does not get rid of excess fluid and it causes the body to get all swollen up. It causes swelling. So here's a man that has this dreaded disease and he needs help, man. He needs to be healed, man. Well, good news, the healer is in the house. Jesus is in the house. I want to say today, Brother Charles, Jesus is in this house. The master is in this house. Psalm 103 and verse number three says that he forgives all of our iniquities and he heals all of our diseases. He can heal cancer. He can heal heart disease. He can heal depression. He can heal sin sickness. But here's the problem with that. It was the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees said, Jesus, you can't heal this man on the Sabbath day. It's against the law of God. Can you imagine? They're trying to use the law of God against Jesus, who is God. Brother Jody, the very one who gave the law, they're trying to use it against him. We're going to watch and see what Jesus does. It's the Sabbath day, and he better not heal that man. Well, lo and behold, Jesus healed that man, set him free, delivered him, and made him whole. And the Pharisees watched it and they didn't say a word. But Jesus knew what was in their heart. They looked good on the outside, but dirty on the inside. By the way, Jesus knows what's in your heart today. And he knows what's in my heart today. And I may fool you and you may fool me, but we'll never fool him. It's interesting, Brother Gary, that Jesus came down hardest on religious people. When he was with the sinners, the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. He called them out on their sins. Stop doing that. Go and sin no more. He would hang out with publicans and tax collectors. One day, he was talking to a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So he seems to show compassion on the sinners, but those religious people, Jesus is going to let them have it. He's going to put them in their place and clip their wings. And Jesus says to those Pharisees, I want to ask you a question. 
If your ox is in the ditch on the Sabbath day, what you gonna do about it? I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll get that ox out even on the Sabbath day, but it bothers you, it ruffles your feathers that I healed this man and made him whole. And while I'm talking, Pharisees, I got another word for you. You're all puffed up with pride. You're, you're all haughty and arrogant and, 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 and you think that you're better than everybody else. In, in Luke chapter 14 and, and verse number 11, he says this. Whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Brother Tim, this is what Jesus says. If you make yourself high, I'll make you low. But if you make yourself low, I'll make you high. If you exalt yourself, I'll humble you. But if you'll humble yourself, I'll exalt you. That's in the Bible. That's 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So Jesus has a word for these Pharisees. And then look at Luke 14 verse 12. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your family or your rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and, and, and the blind. I, I wrote it down in my notes like this. Don't invite people who can do something for you Invite people that you can do something for. Can I say that again? Don't invite people that can do something for you. Invite people that you can do something for. I wrote it down like this. Pay attention to how people treat people they don't need. So Jesus says, why don't you invite the crippled and the blind and the poor why don't you let them come and sit down at the supper table? And then, and then Jesus is going to speak to them and give them a parable. He's going to tell them a story. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in a parable. Somebody asked Adrian Rogers one day, do you interpret the Bible symbolically or literally? He said both. You find out what the symbol means and then you believe it literally. So what's the symbolism here? Well, look at Luke 14 and verse number 16. A certain man made a great supper and, and bid many to come. So there's a man. In verse 21, he's called the Lord and the master of the house. So I believe that symbolically, the master represents God the Father. So the master is God the Father and he's going to have a great supper. Look at verse 16 again. A certain man made a great supper and he invited many to come. What is this supper? I think symbolically that supper represents salvation. We are invited to salvation. It's the kingdom of heaven. Did you know, Brother Mike Smith, when we get to heaven, one of the first things we're gonna do is go to a supper. Revelation 19 and verse number nine. Blessed are they which are called under the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the Bible uses this word supper to describe salvation and the kingdom of, of heaven. And then he talks about a servant. Look at verse 17. 
and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden. I believe that the servant represents God the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that God still sends out the Holy Spirit to invite people to come to Christ? He still sends out that Holy Ghost search party to find a lodging place in the heart of man. I think it's about three or four weeks ago, God placed a sermon on my heart from Genesis chapter six and verse three, and God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And I don't know how to explain this to y'all. This doesn't happen to me much, but that morning, God said, I'm gonna save somebody today. I'm not a psychic. I can't see into the future. I don't know things like that, but God just impressed in my heart, today, somebody is gonna give their life to Christ. And guess what? Four were saved that day. This past week in revival, I'd only preached that sermon one other time here, and God said, I want you to preach that again on Wednesday night. I said, Lord, there ain't nothing here but just old people. Just a bunch of old people. They're already saved. They're already going to heaven. Well, that night, we had a visiting church, and they brought their choir. And that day, God said, I want you to share Genesis 6-3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. And I feel like somebody's going to be saved tonight. That's what I felt like. I just felt like somebody's going to be saved tonight. I looked out over that crowd. I thought, well, there ain't no, nobody here but a bunch of gray heads. <laughs> and I began to preach, and there was such a strong conviction. There was a 17-year-old girl. It's been a long time since I've seen that happen. Walked the aisle, bawling and squalling. Fell on the altar. And all those people gathered around her found out that her daddy was the pastor of the church of the choir that came to sing. And she was gloriously saved. And it wasn't my slick sermon. It wasn't my preaching. It was the draw and the wooing and the conviction of the sweet Holy Spirit. God sent forth a servant and said, hey, I want you to come to the supper. You say, I, I don't believe that God the Father sends God the Holy Spirit. Then you don't believe the Bible. John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will pray to the Father that he might send to you another comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. So I believe that symbolically the servant represents the sweet Holy Spirit. In an invitation, you have two parties. You have the inviter, that's the Holy Spirit. And then you have the invited, that's us, that's the guests. Well, who are these guests? Go back and look at Luke 14, verse 16. He bade many, he invited many to come. Verse 17, and sent its servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, they were invited. Brother Boone Graham, I believe in Luke chapter 14, those that are invited, stay with me, first are the Jewish people. He's writing to a Jewish audience. He's describing a Jewish wedding celebration. Did you know that Jesus came to his own people? Romans chapter one and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. John 1.11, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. I love the Jewish people. I stand with the Jewish people. Hear me, Jewish people have to be saved the same way we have to be saved. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Did you know that Orthodox Jews, they're not even saved. 
They don't even recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They're still looking for a Messiah to come. Can you imagine that? Now, there are what's known as Messianic Jews. They receive Jesus as Savior, but most Jews are not even saved. Watch this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can't save you. The Mosaic law can't save you. The Torah can't save you. If all you got is the Old Testament without the New Testament, you can't be saved. You can't be saved with ceremony and ritual. Only Jesus can save. So Jews are invited to this supper, but now Jesus is going to invite some more folks. We see, number one, an invitation extended. Number two, an invitation excused. An invitation excused. Look at verse 17. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, look at this word, come, for all things are now ready. That's a great word of invitation. Come. Come on, you're, you're, you're invited, come. Jesus told his disciples, come, follow me. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And those that, that hear say, come. And those that are thirsty Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That means whosoever will, let him come. That's a great word. He says, come. And then he says, for all things are now ready. Brother Jody, he says, it's not going to be ready tomorrow. It's ready now. It's not going to be ready after a while. It's ready now. It's now. There's not one verse in the Bible that says get saved tomorrow. There's not one verse in the Bible, Brother Maxie, that says put it off and do it some other time. Salvation in the Bible is always right now. Proverbs 27, verse one, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. You better be careful thinking about tomorrow. It's today. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then in verse 17, he says, come for all things are now ready. Did you see that? Everything is ready. That means it's complete. It's not D-O-do, it's D-O-N-E done. Everything is prepared. What did Jesus say from the cross, Brother Brent? It is finished. When you go to a supper, you say things like this. You may not mean it, but you say this. You need us to bring anything? You want us to bring a dessert? You want us to bring some drinks? You, you, you want us to bring a dish? You need anything? But here, you know what they say? Nope, we got it. It's covered. Everything is prepared. The food is on the table. We've got fried chicken. We've got roast beef. We've got turkey and dressing. We got macaroni and cheese. We got mashed potatoes and biscuits and gravy and pecan pie and watermelon. You say, that's not in that text. I know, but just let me believe it, okay? If it's, if it's the supper, that's what I want to be on the, on the menu. Everything is done. And he says, come, it's now ready. But then, Brother Jeff, for whatever reason, in verse 18, they get together and they come up with a bunch of flimsy excuses why they ain't gonna go. This, this is their RSVP. We're we not gonna make it. There's a bunch of excuses. Look at verse 18. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. You know what an excuse is? An excuse is a lie 
wrapped with a reason. It's really just a lie, but you try to put some reason on it. That makes it an excuse. I've got it in my notes like this. If it's important to you, you will find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. Here's another one. Excuses will always be there for you. Opportunity won't. Here's another one. If you are looking for an excuse, you'll always find one. I'm an old school teacher and I've heard excuses. You ever heard this one? My dog ate my homework. Here are some actual absentee excuses given by parents at a school system in Tennessee. We'll pick on Tennessee. These are actual excuses. Please excuse my son. He is under doctor's care and should not take PE today. Please execute him. I think they meant excuse him. Here's another one. Please excuse Lisa for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. I think that means she got a shot. Here's another one. Please, school, excuse Johnny for being absent on January 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 33rd. (laughs) Well, I I left the school system, came to the Baptist church, and I found out there's a bunch of excuses over here too. In fact, Baptists are the experts at excuses. This is some of the ones I hear. Pastor, I'm not going to make it today. I got the post-nasal drip. Pastor, we're not going to be there today. We had a busy Saturday, and we're going to sleep in. Here's one. Preacher, we're not going to be there. It's Sunday fun day. Here's one. Preacher, oh, I'm not going to be there today. My stomach's upset. I've been in the bathroom. That's enough right there. That's all I need to know. All these excuses. Well, look at these excuses they gave. In verse 18, the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. Brother Chad, who in the world is going to buy some property before they've even seen it? He's already seen it. He's just coming up with an excuse. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them out. Well, you've already bought them. Why do you have to go test them out right now? That's just an excuse. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife. I can't come. He's a newlywed and he's already henpecked. It's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. Now those are all kind of funny, cute excuses, but I hear stuff like this. Preacher, I'd like to come to church, but I'm too bad. I'm too bad to come. You're not too bad. I hear this one. Well, I would come to church, but I'm just too good. You're not too good to come to church. Well, I would love to come, but... But my past, all the things I've done in my past, God knows about your past and you're still welcome. Well, I don't know if I can live it. You can't. But he can live it in you and through you. So there's really no excuses. I've got it in my notes like this. People do what they want to do. Ultimately, people gonna do what they wanna do. Well, I'm almost done. Number one, an excuse extended. Uh, An invitation extended, I'm sorry. An invitation extended. Number two, an invitation excused. But then lastly, number three, an invitation expanded. 
expanded. He's going to open up the invitation. It's not just for the Jews. He's going to open up the invitation. He's going to expand it. Verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house got mad. He was angry. We don't like to think about God getting angry, but we can kindle his wrath. And this is what he said. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. I looked that up, and this is what it means. The street corners and the back alleys. You, you know who hangs out on street corners? Prostitutes. You know who's in the back alleys? Drunkards and dope addicts. Now remember, Jesus is talking to Pharisees. Pharisees would never want to have anything to do with people like that. And, and then in verse 21, he says, go out there and bring in the poor and the main and the halt and the blind. Pharisees would never want to hang out with people like that because they're castaways. They're less than desirables. It's the bottom of the barrel. I mean, they're from the wrong side of the track. They're not our kind of people. And Jesus said, they welcome at the supper. They have a place at the supper table. You go out there in the street corners and the back alleys and you give them an invitation. They can come to the supper. You go after the poor and the crippled and the blind. They are welcome at my table. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges. Go out there into the countryside and drag them to my house. They're welcome. I want my house to be filled. But then look at verse 22. I love this verse. I preached a sermon about this years ago. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. There's room at the supper table. I invited everybody to come. I invited the Jews. I invited the Gentiles. I invited the high class and the low class. I invited the bum, the paupers, and the princes, and there's still room. I thought about that. There's still room at the church. This is the 830 service. Not quite as crowded in the 830 service as 11. So there's plenty of room. I mean, we could add probably another two or three hundred people in here. There's plenty of room. There's room at the church. In verse 23, he said that my house may be filled. I used to hear this all the time. I would come to victory, but it's so crowded we can't find a seat. Well, we got a different sanctuary now. We got two services now. We got a balcony up there now. There's plenty of room at the church. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I said this a few weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. I need the church more than the church needs me. When I was a nine-year-old boy, God put me in the church and he put the church in me. There's still room at the church then there's still room at the cross. There's still room at the cross. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you and, and me. You think about that vertical beam on that cross. It goes all the way up into heaven. It goes all the way down to the very depths of hell. You think about that horizontal beam on that cross. It reaches around the whole wide world. Did you know there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible and I guess my favorite verse is Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ 
by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The ground is level at Calvary. Come one, come all. I heard about a little boy that had just moved to a big city. He was outside playing with some of his buddies and they got too far away and all the kids went back to their houses, but he was new and he couldn't find his way back home. And he's just out there on one of those uh, streets and just, just crying because he didn't know how to get home. A police officer drove by and said, son, what's wrong? He said, I, I can't find my way home. He said, well, what's your name? He said, well, my name is Billy. What's your phone number? I don't know. We got a brand new phone. I don't know what the number is. I hadn't memorized it. What's your address? I don't know. I hadn't memorized it yet. Well, do you know of anything that's around your house, like a marker or a monument? The little boy said, well, there is a church near my house, and it's got a steeple, and on top of the steeple, there's a big cross. And officer, if you can show me the cross, I can find my way home. If you can take me to the cross, I can find my way home. I want to say the way of the cross leads home. There's still room at the cross. There's still room at the church. There's still room at the cross. And then lastly, there's still room at the cemetery. There's still room at the cemetery. Verse number 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. They've missed out on salvation. They've missed out on heaven. They've missed out on the great supper. And there's still room at the cemetery. You know, I do uh, weddings all the time. I did a wedding last Saturday, did one yesterday. And I did a wedding yesterday of all places at a cemetery. First time it's ever happened. You tie the knot or tie the noose, it's all about the same. <laughs> and I was looking out there in that cemetery. There's a lot of graves out there, but there's always more room. Have you ever noticed that? Like they never run out of room. Those memorial gardens, there's still room. Them country graveyards, there's still room. The mausoleums, there's still room. There's still room at the cemetery. Hebrews 9, 27. For it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. I do this sometimes in the 8.30 service. I'm gonna ask you to help me do this again. I think we got a few lost people that's coming at 11 o'clock and I've been told they're coming. I want them to be saved so much. Shelby Lynn Wilkes was on my prayer request list to be saved for many, many years. Jeremy and Krista said she ain't got saved yet. We don't know. We've been telling her about Jesus, but she ain't got saved yet. And then last year at our fall revival, Rick Corum, Shelby Lynn finally got saved. The Colsons were telling me about their little daughter, Amelia. Amelia's not saved yet, and she's been on my prayer request list. I've been praying for her. And then about two weeks ago, Amelia gave her life to Christ. So if you'll get you a prayer request list and expect them to be saved, I've found out most time God will save them. So if you've got somebody that's on your heart today, maybe somebody in your family, somebody that you work with, somebody that's maybe a neighbor or a classmate, somebody down there at the job, and they're lost, they're going to miss out on the supper. They've been invited. We're going to end the day, Brother David, as you come with just a word of prayer and maybe you'd like to come and bring those people and just, just call their name before the Lord that they would not miss out on the supper. Don't miss the supper. And then I want some of you to come and help me pray for that 11 o'clock service. I'd really love to see somebody come to be saved today, come to know Jesus. Lord, we love you. 
We bless your good name. We thank you for a wonderful supper. God, I'm going to this supper. There's going to be a supper. It's going to be a grand celebration. And I have been invited. God, I offered up many excuses for a long time, but finally one day I received that invitation and I'm going. God, I want everybody to be saved. God, there may be somebody in this room right now and they've never truly received the invitation. Oh, the Holy Spirit's inviting, but, but they've not accepted. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now, today is the day of salvation. So maybe today, even in the 830 service, we have someone that's lost. You're gonna miss out on the supper. You're gonna miss out on salvation in the kingdom of heaven. Why don't you come today and be saved? But then I would think that most of us today, we already have a relationship with Jesus. But there's people that we see all the time, they're lost. They're gonna go to hell. They're gonna miss out on the supper. So maybe we could get a passion for them today and a burden for their soul today. Maybe you could actually call their name before the throne. Lord, save him. Lord, save her. I pray for that family member. They're lost. They've never given their life to Christ. That neighbor, that coworker, Lord, save them. Lord, we ask you to save some people today in the 11 o'clock service. We don't want anybody to miss the supper. So Lord, do that. Hear our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.